Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hi, this is Steve. This Friday on The Cinephiles, John and I travel all the way back to 1936 to watch perhaps the greatest star of the silent era, Charlie Chaplin, in the final performance of his iconic character, The Little Tramp. Modern Times is a remarkable hybrid of silent film and talking picture with all of the artistry, inventiveness, and heart that Chaplin is famous for. For its filmmaking technique, its razor-sharp social commentary, and above all, the true genius that is Charlie Chaplin, Modern Times remains an enduring masterpiece. If you've never seen Chaplin, Modern Times is a great way to start. And if you have, well, it'll be like reuniting with an old friend. There is a beautiful Criterion edition of Modern Times, which you can get on Blu-ray or through Amazon streaming service. So that's Charlie Chaplin in Modern Times this Friday on The Cinephiles. Once again to the cinephiles where each week we enter the world of a great film we explore its themes its history the filmmaking and the influence it has on us today my name is steve morris i'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in los angeles california hello everyone i'm john roca i'm a voiceover artist host of numerous shows here in la and occasionally an actor and today we're going back to the oldest film we've done so far yeah and we were trying to make it back to the silent era and we just missed by a little bit. We almost got there. It's like an almost silent film. Yeah. It's our first Charlie Chaplin film. Yeah. It's Modern Times, 1936. Yeah. I'm super excited to talk about this one because this is probably my favorite, uh, aside from Gold Rush, of Charlie Chaplin's. Gold Rushes. That was so, so we were in the debate of yeah. Gold Rush and City Lights and Modern Times. And right. This is where we settled. And it's a really fascinating film to me, particularly in light of the fact that we just did Singing in the Rain, mm. which is a film about the transition from silent 
era into the talkie era. Yeah. And this movie is right in the middle. It's not in the middle time-wise, yeah. but it is, it is a half-silent, half-talking film. Yeah. So, John, how, how'd you first come to it? Actually, the, I came to it when I was studying film back in Florida State, back in college. I would take certain cl- classes to like, because there's no minor in film studies. So I, I went to the uh, film program and I said, if I was going to create a minor in film studies, what would be the f- uh, classes I would need to take? And one of the classes I needed to take was this film that was this class that explored these oh, silent films and classic films from that era. And that's when I first saw Modern Times. Yeah, I think I think I saw it about the same time in mm. college, and then again I saw it when I was in film school. And one mm. of the great classes I had in film school, and and really you guys are hearing a lot of the the benefits of that class twenty mm-hmm. years later was a whole semester on early film history. Yeah, and Charlie Chaplin obviously played a huge part in early film history, and yeah. uh, and that's where I started to kind of understand not just that liking the film, which I had liked the film when I saw it the first time, but understand the influence he had and the importance Charlie Chaplin had yeah. in, in what became the film world. And he's a fascinating character because, well, character, person, you should say fascinating person because at that time, what he was able to do both professionally and politically is really amazing. And I know we're going to touch on it in the show, but that's one of those things that the things that always bring me, brings me back to him. And I think with what's happening now in our country, the politically charmed, charged climate that it is now, we couldn't be talking about it at the most perf- at the more at a more perfect time. Well, and 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 you said exactly right. And, and I don't think we can ever emphasize enough how big Charlie Chaplin was. Yeah, that Charlie Chaplin he might be the biggest pop culture icon of all time. Yeah, at least in terms of the not today, of course, but in terms of the size of the population mm-hmm. and the influence he had at the time. And he is the first pop culture icon, yeah. really, yeah. because the, you know, before film, you might be a star on Broadway or yeah. a star in London or a star in Paris. And then for anyone to see you, yeah. you had to go on tour and mm-hmm. only really a very small percentage of the world could see you. And it was over a long period of time because mm-hmm. because that tour might take years, mm-hmm. you know, so by the time you became a star, it's. 10, 15, 20 years later before someone in Iowa might have actually seen you. Right. And with the in with the advent of film, suddenly everyone is seeing Charlie Chaplin at the exact same moment. Mm-hmm. And his character of the little tramp is bigger than anything. There's mm-hmm. studies where like in in you know 1917 that eight out of ten men were dressed as the little tramp on Halloween. You know, it's like that. It's so big, so much merchandise, so much stuff, so much influence throughout the world. He is absolutely huge. Yeah, and he permeates through decades. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. Doing research, a little bit of research for this uh, particular episode, you find out that they used modern times to open numerous theaters, to open numerous uh, festivals, to close festivals. It's still a film that is incredibly revered. He is still incredibly revered as a filmmaker. Even with all the baggage that comes with him, he is still revered so preciously by people in the film-loving community. Yeah, absolutely. As as both the character he created, yes. as an innovator, as a person who thought about film mm-hmm. in a way that's dynamic for for us as filmmakers mm-hmm. to think about how to make films, he, he's a huge, huge influence. So let's 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 talk just a little bit about him because yeah. his life story is really interesting. He was born in England in 1898 to a very, very poor family. His father was not in the picture from the beginning. His mother was sick much of his childhood. He was actually put in the workhouse twice. And for those of you who don't know, the workhouse is mom can't pay her debts, will essentially enslave the kid and put them to child labor. (sighs) So that's the world he grew up with. He had to personally, at like nine or Mm ten, bring mom to the insane asylum to commit her, uh, probably because of syphilis. Um, I mean, this is a rough, this is as rough as you get for a childhood and um, discovered the theater pretty early as both his mom and his dad had some connection to the theater is singing and things like that Mm -hmm. and as he became a child actor and became in sort of a 15 16 year old suddenly became a star as working sometimes with his brother as a pantomime artist in what we would call in the united states the vaudeville circuit Mm -hmm. And in uh, 1910, he did his first world tour, and in as a very young man, yeah. 17, 18. And in 1912, he did it again. And while in Hollywood, he was seen by Max Sennett. Uh, Max Sennett Studios is one of the early silent film studios. Had the Keystone Cops, and he said, "There's something here." And Charlie Chaplin was a little on the fence mm-hmm. about doing it because he was so successful as a vaudeville artist. Right. And but then the hundred bucks a week that sort of sounded really good <laughs> and a stable 
world. And the first few films he did for Max Sennett were successful. And then a few films in, in a film called Kid Auto Races, mm-hmm. he discovers the character of the little tramp. And this is, I, I just can't say enough how big a moment this is in film history. As he creates, he finds this hat, he finds this cane, mm-hmm. he finds this fake mustache. And it, it was some of the ideas were that the, the shoes are too big, the hat is too small, the mustache is strange, the clothes don't fit right. He's a poor guy trying to dress up as a rich guy, mm-hmm. and that is the little tramp. And that becomes the character he plays for the next 25 years. Yeah. Um, and it's a character that we have in modern times, and it becomes an icon. The yeah. only thing comparable, really, in our history, I think, is Mickey Mouse. Yeah. That has the same sort of level of iconography as the Little Tramp. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, he becomes a big, big star. Yeah. After about a year with Max Sennett, he wants to renegotiate his contract. He wants $1,000 a week instead of $100 a week. Max Sennett refuses. So off he goes to another studio who gives him $1,200 a week, $1,250 a week. Wow. Does that for a year, wants to renegotiate after that goes to another studio, this time for $10,000 a week. Wow. And with a $100,000 signing bonus. So we have to understand that $10,000 <laughs> a week in 1917 is huge amounts of money. Yeah. You know, he made, he, he was among the, the biggest earners in the world mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, and at this point, by the, by the late teens, he starts to move from two-reelers, which are the short films he'd been doing, into right. features. And we get films like The Kid. And we get films like Gold Rush. Yeah. And then he forms... Again, he's not satisfied with his level of control. He wants his own studio. And by the way, I should say that he is writing and directing and editing. He's a complete auteur, complete mm-hmm. artistic control of his films in the silent era. And he forms uh, United Artists mm-hmm. with Mary. This is the origin, by the way, of United Artists. It is literally the four top artists at the time, which are Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks, D.W. Griffith, the mm-hmm. director, and Charlie Chaplin. And yeah. they say, we should control our own destiny. And they cr- create a studio. It doesn't really work out that well <laughs> um, in terms of them actually being able to go on right. with this. Right. And, you know, sometimes there are times where artists really shouldn't run the business. <laughs> That's right. Um, and he decides he wants his own studio, puts his own studio on Sunset and La Brea, which is the current where the Henson building is. Yes. The, the, the Henson took over Charlie Chaplin's studio. Right. That's why you can see Kermit dressed as Chaplin above as uh, above it when you drive past it on the Brea. Yeah. Uh, and uh, from there he write, makes some of the biggest movies of his careers, mm-hmm. including, uh, I think I already said Gold Rush. Yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, we get to the end of the silent era. Chaplin was really nervous mm. in terms of moving into sound because he's a pantomime artist. Yeah. He has built his whole way of making films. He has mastered really this filmmaking process of this particular kind of film. And he was really scared of what was going to happen. Yeah. And his first foray into sound films is City Lights in 1931. Right. And he um, doesn't have dialogue. That's his solution. He essentially makes a silent movie, but takes advantage of sync sound for sound effects and backgrounds and music, which mm-hmm. he composes. Um, and then we get to Modern Times, which is 1936, or he started filming it in 1934. Yeah. And again, at first he starts out, okay, I'm going to do a full talking picture. And they write a whole script, which he had never did. And uh, then kind of, I won't say he chickened out, but he changed his mind. Yeah. And he goes, no, no, we're going to go halfway. So this is a halfway sound talking picture. Right. Halfway not. Well, that's what, that's what uh, I had forgotten about when I rewatched it again for this episode. Like, I hadn't seen it in years, you know, and I, I rewatched it again and I was like, oh, wow, I forgot that the, you can hear the guy talking right. on the video camera to, or on the uh, whatever that is, the screen when he's talking to the worker and near the beginning, the boss is talking to them. And then you can hear the sound effects, you know, and of course you have the score and then occasionally, and then you have Chaplin singing at the end. So yep. you have these little pockets of sound that come in combined with these silent and then the plates that have the dialogue written out, you know, that kind of stuff that you see in silent films. So for me, it was a nice, interesting uh, combination of the old school yeah. and embracing a little bit of the new school at, at that time. Well, and it's, it is it is a transition. Yeah. And for Chaplin, it's the transition of going from silent to talkies. And I'm kind of hoping for our listeners, mm. it might be the transition the other way. Like this might <laughs> be your gateway drug. It's got sound. It's got music. It's got some, you know, people talking on screen. Right. But it has the structure and the methodology of a silent film. And so yeah. if you like modern times, well, then maybe that's going to help draw you to go back a little further. Right. And check out some of Chaplin's earlier films and, of course, Buster Keaton and yeah. uh, F.W. Murnau and all the all these great filmmakers making making films in the silent era yeah. that made wonderful films and if you like this well then I think you might like some of those that's right um, so let's get into the movie sure 
I got to start with the ulti- opening two shots. Yeah. The first shot of the film is sheep. <laughs> Body to body, moving through a yeah. you know a, a, some corridor, some kind of pen, some sort of some pen, pen or something. Yeah. yeah, and then the next shot is workers. Yep, moving to go to work, body to body. Yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't get a clearer juxtaposition than that. Yeah, I mean, so right off the bat, Charlie Chaplin makes a political statement. Yeah, right off the bat, you understand where he's going. Yeah, and this is so brilliant to watch now again in 2017 to see how that is still somehow relevant today still a way people can view working in these uh jobs that they have in certain parts of this country still well and and there's so much about this film that's really current yeah yeah in terms of unemployment in terms of people trying to get work in terms yeah. of in terms of the relationship between the money people and the not money right, people right. in terms yeah there's a, there's a, there's a lot here the fear the desperation yeah. the crimes that are committed even in a playful comedy the crimes that are committed just to eat you know those yeah. kinds of things, and I'm sure there were a number of people that had issues with him creating these kinds. Of, obviously, you, when you read in history, like the House of an American Committee uh, convicted, uh, accused him of being a communist. All these things that were going on, like they wouldn't show. Italy refused to show this film Mussolini, under Mussolini. Hitler obviously and the Nazis didn't want this film to be shown because they thought he was Jew, part Jewish, and all these things. So there's so much Although about Hitler did like his mustache. Oh, yeah, right, exactly, because he copied it, right? Exactly. And so those little things that that go into this film right off the bat, you understand. He gives you, if you're looking for it, he gives you exactly what this film's going to be about. Well, and, and J. Edgar Hoover is investigating yeah. Charlie Chaplin from the beginning of the Salon yep. era and finally essentially manipulates him out of the country. Yeah. You know, and, and so the, there's no question that it's political. And one of the things we should say mm-hmm. is that after City Lights, which was a huge, huge yeah. success, Charlie Chaplin didn't really know what to do next. And mm-hmm. he took, uh, it's 1931, and he took a very long trip around the world. Yeah. And he met with. Einstein and George Bernard Shaw and right. Gandhi mm-hmm. and Henry Ford and all of these people. And a lot of that, the things he learned on that huge journey around the world yeah. come into this movie. Yeah. Well, for, from what I read, Gandhi is the one that really influenced him to look at this idea of machine versus man and how machines were corrupting the idea because they were going, because it was about giving access to people with money to abuse people of lower status for them to make money uh, for themselves off the, them working the machines. And the machines were kicking people out of jobs. And so initially Chaplin was hesitant to Which is something to, that's happening today. Yeah, exactly. And has has always happened since the advent of machines, you know. And so this is something that uh, Chaplin was initially resistant to. But eventually through the conversation, he came around to see Gandhi's point of view and influenced him doing that. And apparently, what you mentioned Henry Ford, apparently the the owner of the company that you see in the film at the beginning is modeled on Henry Ford. Right, he looks, he looks just like, like him. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and by the way, just so you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, I don't want to give you the impression that this is a heavy movie. No, no, not We're at all. We're talking about heavy things. Yeah. This is a fun, silly movie. Absolutely. With lots of classic, beautiful physical comedy. Yes. And yes, there's some stuff to get from it, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about it more. Mm-hmm. But there's also just the beautiful ballet of the way Charlie Chaplin creates a scene. And let's let's go on to our first one, which is we're on the conveyor belt. Yeah. Uh, and Charlie Chaplin, it's fun. Funny, you, you know, you know who one of his greatest, who he influenced more than anyone else is Lucille Ball. Right. Which is that if you if you've seen Lucille Ball at the Chocolate Factory, <laughs> well, you got to go back and you look at Charlie Chaplin in modern times. Yeah. Because his job is to turn some screws with yep. his two wrenches over and over again, fast on a conveyor belt, and the way his body moves and every little bit of it is just beautifully choreographed. Yeah, and it's fun to watch again to see that because you admire the technique of the filmmaking and also the speed at which he's doing this, and you can watch it because he was using. I think 18 or 24 frames per second film, but you can watch him like perfectly hit those two screws plate after plate after plate. And you're just the amount of training, the amount of timing and technique it takes to be able to hit that, you know, all the time, you know, and he's known for taking numerous takes uh, on scenes, which is why films that he directed took so long to make. Um, He was, when you watch something like that, now looking back, you, this is amazing. They would do that. They would never show it it, it, to that level. Nowadays, it's no point to it. You get it once or twice and you get the idea, but to see him consistently doing it for like 10, 15 plates, it's pretty amazing. Well, and he's slowing down and he's speeding up, he's catching up, he's falling behind and he's losing his place and he's jumping over to the other side (laughs) and all of these 
these things are happening, and it's in concert with the other actors yeah. who are really part of the same ballet. Absolutely. And in fact, the, the reason I use the term ballet is that's one of the things W.C. Fields said about him, which is his quote was, he's a goddamn ballet artist. <laughs> you know, uh, which is certainly true when yes. you watch the way Charlie Chaplin moves. And yeah. uh, you're absolutely right that it took a long time because a lot of what Chaplin did throughout his career was he really wrote the film on the set. Yeah. Which is he built oh, wow. the set. He created, you know, because all of, particularly coming out of two reelers, mm-hmm. um, he created the environment. So it was a roller skating rink or an escalator or whatever it was. Yeah. And then he played on it for wow. days after days and slowly built up the bit. Wow. At the time, yeah. which is something, by the way, that uh, Jackie Chan, who's a huge mm. Charlie Chaplin fan, yeah. that's how he works. Hmm. In his heyday, what he did was he would get all the props of of the scene and he would bring them to his warehouse and he would practice with his guys and come up with the choreography. Interesting. So in the next, so we have our first little bit where he's on the conveyor belt and we yep. see all that. And our next little bit is the feeding machine. <laughs> It's, it's just crazy. And, and there's also this weird solution of we're not quite going to do a talking picture. So we're going to have this company and they're presenting their fantastic new automatic feeding machine. Yeah. And we're going to hear it as a recording and not hear people speak. So it's kind of a talking picture, but yeah. not. Good morning, my friends. This record comes to you through the Sales Talk Transcription Company, Incorporated. Your speaker, the mechanical salesman. May I take the pleasure of introducing Mr. J. Willicombe Billows, the inventor of the Billows feeding machine. But it's also reminiscent of that scene in uh, in uh, Singing in the Rain, which you referenced earlier. But like the scene where the guy where they play uh, the uh, record, or they, they play the guy speaking, right. and he says, "This is my voice and yeah. on record," you know. And it's very reminiscent of that. So when you see it happening, that they actually play a record, and the the people are pantomiming around the record to reinforce the points the person is making on the record, is really interesting. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of a wink at the audience, yes. of the audience at the time, yeah, yeah. who knew Charlie Chaplin movies and. Now it's kind of going, okay, this is what we're doing now. And there's this machine that automatically feeds your worker to save time, which I no one needs to save time by automatically feeding me. I can do it just <laughs> as fast right. as you want. But the, the, yeah. the gag is really funny. And it, again, the whole way that machines and humans are treated in this movie is that humans exist to serve machines, right. really. They, the machines are what's important. The, the factory is what's important. And whatever... The humans have to do the little tiny humans. That's what you do to them yeah. to service the factory. Yeah, it's, it's and what's so great, and this is the thing that you mentioned earlier. Like you're talking about, a, oh, it's a very light film, but very funny. Yes, true. But what Chaplin does better than almost anybody else is the ability to show to have subversiveness within this light comedy. There is subversiveness within the light comedy because the premise is we're trying to force workers to eliminate their lunches so that they can be eat even quicker right. and get back on the line even quicker, which increases productivity which increases your profit which increases the rich people getting richer and the poor getting poorer but it's done in this playful very funny way with this machine that shoves food into his mouth and then malfunctions and essentially tries to almost kill him with a corn cob you know a very very fast corn cob and then keeps keeps going forward and in fact i love the idea what happens in that sequence where he swallows the uh the screws the uh, the bolts swallowing the bolts is symbolic in that way that he's almost becoming half machine about it but sure yeah absolutely it's the shove it's the also, in essence you becoming half a machine, and th- and this goes into one of the thing the key things with Chaplin is his ability with physical comedy is you know yeah. as good as there is. I'm not saying he's the best ever. There, are, you know, I love Buster Keaton. Yes, I love, I love Lucille Ball. I sure, love Harold Lloyd. Harold Lloyd. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love Jackie Chan. They're yeah. all great at physical comedy, but there is. I don't think there's anyone better than him. Oh, absolutely. And watching his face, his face is amazing. Yeah, his reactions to what's happening with this eating machine, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I believe, and it's not 100% sure, but it's pretty sure that the way it's working is that there's levers underneath the eating machine and he's controlling it. Oh, really? Yeah, that he's oh, actually feeding interesting. himself That's and then great. reacting, surprised, to what he just did to himself well, for the most good. part. That'd be good. Um, and, uh, uh, of course, it doesn't work and it falls completely apart. Yeah. And uh, it reminds me, by the way, of uh, there's a great quote from Lucille Ball, mm-hmm. which is when they were having script problems for the, for the I Love Lucy, yeah. her suggestion was always, put me on a ladder. Uh-huh. And put me on a ladder was a, a metaphor for create something physical yeah and then she will make it funny because right. she's so funny and you know that's what charlie chaplin's constantly doing is yeah. put me on a ladder put me in some circumstance where i can find some funny yeah uh and then we go back onto the factory floor and back onto the conveyor belt and yeah. we get to one of the most iconic shots in all the film yeah which is charlie chaplin 
while trying to keep <laughs> up with the conveyor belt, gets caught on it and yeah. goes through the gears of the machine. Yeah. Essentially, what is it? A man and machine combining together, yep. like becoming one. Yeah. Uh, so, so such a great image of that, yeah. and then and then getting reversed back out. You know. Yeah. It, I I think they might have only done one or two takes, and it mm -hmm. took them days and days and days to get it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, the machines are made out of wood and rubber. Good. Because uh, it looks really scary. <laughs> it really does. And one of the things we should point out is Charlie Chaplin has amazing technical expertise. Yeah. And this is part of why he didn't want to let go of silent film is because you had to, you know, I think I said this in Singing in the Rain, is that when silent film went to sound film, they had to go back a huge step yeah. in uh, sophistication right. because film cameras made a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. And so in order to, and so, and so you could do all sorts of movement and crane shots and all this cool stuff with a film camera in the silent era that when you went in a sound area you couldn't do it anymore because right. you had to put the film camera in a big huge soundproof box right. in order to shoot with it um, and one of the things he did for instance with the is factories is they use miniatures mm. and they would hang a miniature so they would build so some of the machines in the factory they're in the foreground they're actually little tiny machines hanging right in front of the lens oh wow yeah and that's how they that's how they create that illusion which right. is an amazing illusion yeah so he goes through the machine yes <laughs> he comes out of the machine and he has what I would describe is a complete nervous breakdown. Yeah, and this is something again that I had forgotten because I, I, you know, because when you're younger and you're watching, you think, oh, he's just having, he's dancing around. It's like you get involved in the playfulness of it, right? But as you get older, you go, oh, wait a minute. He's having a breakdown, like a nervous no, he breakdown. He's legitimately right, freaking out. He's turning screws on everything. He's, he's uh, spraying oil on people. He's he's t basically just throwing it all in the face of the bosses. Uh, everything that he's doing. I um, mean, he chases a woman outside. The cops have to come in. You know, this whole thing. So all of that happens, and he, you just know that he just he's just like essentially a screw is loose. For lack of a yes. better phrase, <laughs> a screw is loose. And he just cannot <laughs> tighten it, no matter how hard he tries. Nope, nope. And if you want to see the this is my favorite ballet. Yeah. Is this sequence in the factory and coming out, the way he runs around, the way he moves, yeah. the way he choreographs all the other characters in it, it is just gorgeous to watch. Yeah. I yeah. mean, even if you just like turn off your funny bone and just go, I'm just going to watch this as movement. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. And the way he choreographs everything works so perfectly that it's believable in what he's doing. Like every time he's turning the lever to start the thing. And, and of course, the factory workers immediately go into factory uh, mode and go and start fixing the stuff and fixing the stuff and turning the screws and stamping because the, the machine line is going. And then one of them runs around and turns it off. And then Chaplin comes back and turns it back on and, you know, to keep them from chasing him. And this is, this, it's such a great statement in that moment like they are so programmed that their fear of not turning those screws or stamping those things affects them so much so that they can't chase the one person who's going nuts right well now. and what is his going nuts his going nuts is he's now compelled he can't stop his arms yeah. from doing this movement to tightening things right. and he wants to tighten everything he sees including the buttons on women's dresses yeah. <laughs> you know yeah with some sexual innuendo in there as well right, sure, and sure. and is that he, be, he he has become a machine yes uh, one other thing by the way i love about the way he moves is i love the way he turns corners yes which he has this sort of leg up hopping movement yes. which if you watch bugs bunny that's how yeah. cartoons turn corners that's he, true he he predicts the cartoon like mm -hmm. cartoons are imitating him he's mm -hmm. not imitating cartoons uh right. yeah it's, it's an amazing way he moves and so he goes nuts and they cart him off to the asylum right and then he gets out of the asylum and this mm -hmm. is the first time we really see him as the little tramp we see him in yeah. the outfit and this what this is by the way the last appearance of the little tramp yep. is modern times yep and uh we should talk a little bit about this character okay because he's an unusual guy mm-hmm he is not a perfect guy. No. He is not a perfectly moral guy. No. He is a guy who has desires and ambitions, and he wants to work, but maybe not that hard. Right. You know, he wants to get ahead, but not that much. Mm -hmm. He can be a little self-serving. He can be a little mischievous. Yes. Um, he's a really complicated character. Throughout all the films. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I this is you said Mickey Mouse is iconic. I would say also the man with no name, the Clint Eastwood character, is mm. is in the same vein. This idea that he is a hero, 
but he has at times these uh, selfish tendencies or these uh, not necessarily these positive qualities to him, but you can't help but uh, cheer for the person. And so you can't help but cheer for him. And he's always going after these, mostly he's going after these women who are like either homeless or poor. You know, he finds these romances yeah, with them, you know. He's got a big heart. He's got a big heart, exactly. So, and he's always flouting uh, at authority. He's always flouting his thumb at authority. He's always doing that. He's always in some way making fun of the police, making fun of people of authority. The tramp uh, the, is always doing that in every film, you know, in none more so than the kid. And, and, and what's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the kid will mess you up. Yes, it will. Um, what, what's what's interesting is that he has this ability to mix kind of the broad comedy. Yeah. And with real sentimental choices. Right. That are really touching. Yeah. And he doesn't do it by making this guy like the perfect victim. No, you know, right, exactly. Is that it's, and, and I think again, you know, this is sort of the counter sign side to what we're talking about in terms of the film's politics. Is yeah, is this a film that that worries about the plight of the workers? Absolutely, no yeah. question. But he doesn't characterize the worker as just this perfect uh, victim. Yes, you know, yeah. he's he's a flawed guy. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's perfect. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who, yeah, he'll cut some corners, and yeah, yeah he he doesn't. He wants to work. But it's not like he is just being abused. No, and everyone, you know? every, and he he will be surprisingly intelligent, surprisingly empower in a scene uh, where you don't expect it. You know, yeah. and I, when we get to those moments, we'll talk about them. But like throughout the movie, there are moments with him where you're like, "Wait, where is this coming from?" Because you're you're tempted to think that he's a simple ki- guy, but he's not. He he's got his ideas and his points of views. What he doesn't have is a filter. And with right. <laughs> with not having a filter, he acts as he thinks is the right way to act in certain moments to get certain results. And that for whatever the the consequences may be, he thinks he's doing it for all the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he gets out of the asylum. Yeah. Uh, he is walking down the street. We see him as the little tramp. A flag falls off the back of a truck. <laughs> just like I love this sequence. And just as he picks up the flag <laughs> to give it back to the truck. A red flag. A red flag. Yeah. Behind him marches the huge Workers Unite communist march and he is suddenly at the lead of the march waving the red flag totally oblivious totally Totally oblivious oblivious. uh the shot is amazing yeah it is like a as you see it develop you're like oh my god and he immediately gets arrested as a communist leader and goes to jail right and this is how people describe this movie is in a way it's it's sort of a bunch of two reelers two Mm -hmm. reelers or short films Mm -hmm. stuck together so we had our factory two reeler yeah now we're into our jail two reeler right uh where he has a uh tough somewhat dangerous roommate yes. he's eating food he gets accidentally dosed with cocaine cocaine what they call <laughs> nose powder nose powder yeah right uh, goes kind of nuts foils a uh, an escape yes well, but the nose powder sequence is so amazing steve as an actor watching that his what he when the thing is he plays the levels of the of the increasing right. cocaine influence on his body and his behavior right initially he's surprised that something is happening then he's like playful about it cuz he tries to feed his ear as an impulse and then he becomes bolder and he becomes stronger as more of the cocaine that right. he takes in all of a sudden the the guy next to him who he was who he was afraid of he's now eating his bread and he's now flicking his food in his eye and because he's caught up on the cocaine high and i think that's so fantastic and it leads to this whole thing that happens where he accidentally goes out in the prison yard when everybody goes into the cell and then this prison escape attempts to happen and he stops it all because he's hopped up on cocaine (laughs) and it is again every little moment is beautifully and perfectly um choreographed yeah And, and in addition by the way Chaplin had no problem firing an actor. He was on his third cellmate roommate that's his third cellmate roommate the first two who he had worked with before he's like nope it's not working right. And he fired him because he was a perfectionist. Yes. You know, uh, we kind of, you know, and, and I, I don't think he was, again, maybe not mean, but he, mm-hmm. his top priority was getting the movie to be mm-hmm. perfect. That was it. He had a vision and he wanted to see it to the end. Gonna make yeah, it to yeah. the end. For better or worse. So then we have, uh, after foiling the jail, he's about to get released. And we have this really bizarre sequence where he sits next to the reverend's wife. Yeah. And they have. Farting, gurgling noises right. going through their bodies. But this is him once again. It's subversive about religion. It's subversive about religion. This idea that these people, because they're religious, are supposedly perfect. Yeah. And they're not. And they won't recognize their own faults, their own flaws, as you can visibly see them. They will not recognize them or admit to them. And it's fascinating. And by the way, from what I can tell, yeah, these are the first fart jokes ever on film. <laughs> 
Okay. This is it. The really? beginning of Furchers. <laughs> really? There was no like bubbles coming out of someone's butt in a water in the silent era? Okay. Uh, I will accept it. You're, I, you're no, no. the professor. I will I, accept it. As far as I know. Okay. I, I, I did some research. <laughs> the people who are much more scholarly than me yeah. did say that uh, about the film. Oh, great. Okay. But, but I have not. I mean, you know. Right. I, someone probably filmed it to a good point. <laughs> like some, some bubbles in water. So Maybe. Filmed a lot of stuff. Maybe. Sure. You know, once you got a film camera. But as far as I know, this is the, <laughs> okay. certainly the first mainstream one. All right. Um, and it is uh, so out of nowhere. It's out so nowhere. out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. And by the way, they spent a lot of experimentation trying to figure out how to make that sound. <laughs> and that is uh, that's uh, Charlie Chaplin blowing bubbles in water. Is it really? Yeah. That's oh, wow. How funny. Yeah. Because um, he loves sound. I mean, yeah. the sound effects. I mean, the sound design of this film is really, really good. Mm-hmm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hello, Cinephiles fans. You know, we all kind of walk around with these stressors, big, small, medium in our lives that are triggered sometimes by frustrations at work or frustrations at our job or just frustrations overall about our life. Because sometimes you know this, if you compare, you despair and you just want to live a life that's a little bit more clean and accepting of yourself and a little more open to receiving positive messages for yourself so you can have that life that you want to live and have that great work-life balance. And it's not always easy. And for me, for years and years, I thought all of this stress, all of this hardship, I had to just carry on my own, that this is what it meant to be a man. And it was finally getting therapy where I realized like, oh, I don't have to carry that stuff. There's a place where I can unburden myself and actually get advice and guidance about how to deal with it better in the future. Yeah, Steve, you and I have spoken very proudly about how therapy has helped both of both of us deal with our stressors in our lives. And if any of you are listening to us who are thinking of starting therapy, well, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is to fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if things aren't working out, which I think is a great benefit. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Cinephiles today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. Uh, so when he gets out of jail, he gets a note that says, hey, this is a good guy. Yeah. Goes to get his first job. It's working on a, a boat. And we have a very a short dockyard. Yeah, a yeah. dockyard, really quick bit where he pulls a, 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 a shim or a... a a wedge, a wedge, a wedge. <laughs> and he pulls the one that's holding the hulk of the half-made boat, and it goes down into the water, <laughs> uh, which is a rear projection shot, by the way, but yes. it's really funny. Yeah, it's so funny, because the, the other actors' reactions with their eyes wide open is just brilliant, just yeah. totally sells that moment. <laughs> um, and at this point, we've met uh, Paulette Goddard. Paulette yeah. Goddard. Yep. Uh, or who plays Paulette, Paulette Goddard, yeah. yeah. Who plays the Garmin. Or is yep. it Goddard? No, I can't. Well, remember. Goddard, fine. She is stunning. Yeah, she is one of the most beautiful homeless people I've ever met in my I've ever seen in my life. Every time you see her face, it's just like just mm-hmm. mesmerizing, and yeah. you can see, you know, why this is an actress who could have worked in the silent era. Oh yeah, her face acting is amazing. Yeah. And he found her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she has an interesting life. Yeah, uh, she ended up married after being she she had a relationship with Charlie Chaplin yep. at this time. I think it's a common law marriage. They got married, yeah. Well, they, they actually married. did get married, yeah. But she, uh, like, they were married for four years and they divorced in 1940. Yeah. She is a staunch Republican throughout oh, her entire life, staunch Republican conservative, which is why it's so ironic that she's in this film. Uh, and it, and she was uh, very, she came from wealthy, like, she married at 16 years old to a very wealthy guy. Right. And so when she, she was working, uh, she divorced him, which is in, I mean, like, look at the time, right? She divorces this guy at that time. She takes the money, she has three cars of her own. She drives a car to the studio every day, these real shiny big cars, uh, and she is working as... the story. Yeah, she's working as like a dancer in the uh, crew of dancers. Like she's just in the chorus and Chaplin finds her. And that's where it is. Chaplin finds her, picks her out, puts her in these movies, and puts her in his movies. And they have a relationship. It's a complicated relationship because she's yeah. she lo- apparently there's rumors that she lost Gone with the Wind because of Chaplin's politics. Oh, I didn't know. Because they live next door to the Selznicks, and oh, it wow. was it, they they both David and Vivian want. I think it's Vivian or uh, I forget what her Victoria maybe Selznick wanted uh, Goddard to be 
uh, Scarlett, uh, O'Hara. Scarlett O'Hara. Wow! But the politics got in the way. I didn't know that. Yep. I didn't know yep. that. Did she, of course, she thing. continued acting. Yes, yeah, she did. She did. She married Burgess Meredith. She did. Yes, yeah. she, she did. And uh, you know, uh, uh, lost his child. And uh, she had through the forties is when she was really, really famous. All through the forties, and then she kind of just fell off in the fifties. And she ended up marrying this German writer, Remarque, and ended up living the rest of her life there. And did a, and did like one or two other things the rest of her life. Yeah, um, and she's great in this movie. Yes, she plays a young. Um, homeless girl with two young sisters mm-hmm. struggling to survive. And, yeah. and we should say, I mean, I, I think it's kind of been implied this whole point. This is the middle of the Depression. Yes. Uh, right. H- huge, huge amount of America is out of work. Yes. We have bread lines. We have people starving. And so the story that is this uh, girl and her family mm-hmm. uh, isn't that unusual. And her father is struggling to help them. And he ends up dying mm-hmm. in the middle of a, a, a strike being broken. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like, the politics are coming through. There's a dark, it's a very light comedy, as you were saying, Steve, but there's some real darkness going on in, throughout the whole film, yeah. And while she's trying to steal bread to survive, yeah. Charlie Chaplin has now been released from jail, and you know what he wants to do? Get a job. No, he no. wants to get back in jail. He wants to get back in jail, that's right. He, he wants to go back to jail. That's right, he has that sequence with the warden, he has that exchange with the warden, he goes, can I just stay? I love it here, it's yeah. nice here. Yeah, it's just the roof over your head, three meals a day. What's the, what's yeah. the complaint about? It's hard out there. <laughs> And so what we watch is several moments where the little tramp is trying to, right. you know, he steals some newspapers, he goes into a cafeteria, yes. eats all this food, right. eats it all, can't pay for it, right. and he can't get back into jail. No, uh, uh, Paulette steals this, uh, steals some bread, yeah. gets chased by the police, runs yeah. into Charlie Chaplin, and Charlie Chaplin goes, no, no, I, I, I stole the bread. Right. Right. Um, because really, he just wants to go back to jail. He just wants to go back to jail. I mean, right? Maybe he's being a little heroic. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's being noble to a degree. To but, a degree. Which is the tramp. The tramp is right. very noble. I mean, in. in to uh, a degree. Yeah, to a degree. Right. Exactly. As it serves his purposes, right? Yeah. And so he's he's doing that. But like, yeah, but then uh, the woman who's the witness comes over and says, no, 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 it wasn't him. It was uh, Paulette's character, the Garmin. And so then they arrest the Garmin. He goes, well, I've got to get somehow, somewhere. And that's when he goes and orders the food. And that's when he oh, right. does the cigar sequence, which, once again, this is what's interesting about him. What once he decides to do something, there's no filter. He's like, well, I'm going to order all this food. Screw these people who are these businesses that need sure. my money to survive. I don't care. I'm going to order all this food, not pay for it. Then, I can put, then I'm going to light a cigar, give away stuff to these little kids, not pay for it, and get thrown in jail. And it's like everyone else is at the sacrifice for his desires. Well, so this is the filter that I mean. There's no filter. And, and at every moment, there's little bits of comedy. It's yes. the small absolutely. Charlie Chaplin comedy is as good as the big Charlie oh, Chaplin. Oh, absolutely. When he lights that cigar and then he pulls down his ear and a puff comes out and it's just the tiniest little thing yes that's so like wow that was just you added that other thing and this yeah. is this is something i hear from people who do comedy which is you can't just have one joke Mm-mm. you got there's got to be mm-hmm. constantly coming up with funny things how can i make this funny how can i make this yeah. funny and he's always doing that some of the best laughs you have in, for any comedian are the, the ones you don't see coming and the smaller ones in the smaller yeah. moments they will just crack you up totally agree so Yep. He finally gets arrested. He's in the paddy wagon yeah. with Paulette, and uh, there's an accident. He fall, they fall out, yeah. and suddenly we got the two of them together. By the way, I do like that sequence in the paddy wagon because you have an African-American actress oh, that yeah. he keeps sitting on. She is not seen as subservient. She is not seen as some kind of nobody. She pushes him off him. She pushes, She's constantly pushing him off of him, and, and she's strong in the moment, right? She's strong sure. throughout all, and I think that, to me, was a fantastic thing. It's a small thing, but it means something, man. She wasn't like big, wide-eyed, wasn't doing big, histrionics wasn't doing any of that stuff she just was like get off me get off me you keep messing up my dress get off me and then they and then the, it, they fall out of the paddy wagon and what have you you, you know. know it's so much that way i didn't even notice it yeah they, that, that's what's kind of great about it it's like you're right it's i haven't thought about for it 1936 yeah it's freaking important um yeah, yeah absolutely mm-hmm. uh and so they go off together and i think the next thing that happens is they imagine their ideal house. yes they do they sit they run away from the cop after they knock him out a couple times and they sit down and imagine their house and it's such a it's 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 very reminiscent of little shop of horrors when <laughs> ellen green has that whole sequence somewhere that's green that song and she imagines what it'd be like to have rick moranis as her dad as as the dad rather as the a husband and the dad of her kids and all that so to me that's because i've seen little shop of horrors it's why it reminisced sure. or connected well, for me. And what you see too is that is you see the little tramps 
image of how things work in the world is really strange, <laughs> yeah, you know, with the way the cow works and the way, yeah. all, you know, it's just all very bizarre, <laughs> but that's not going to be their lives. But he does yeah. end up getting a job at a department store. Yes. As a night which, watchman, which again, he wants to work. Yeah. He does want the job because he's motivated by her. He's like, I want to get a house. Let's yeah. get a house. I want to do it. I- I'll even work for it, which is what I love that play right. when it comes. I'll even work for it. Well, and <laughs> here's a weird thing about the movie. Their relationship. Yeah. What exactly it is, is a little ambiguous. Right. I mean, it seems like it's a romantic relationship yes. sometimes. Yes. But they don't do anything romantic particularly. Right. It's all in action. It's not in physical right. affection. It's all in action. She influences him to go get the job as the night watchman. Right. And so she's pushing him to be better, to be, to, be, to be successful, which a lot of women do in relationships. They push their men to be more successful. They don't want the men to be – because that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Sure. And so she's doing that. She's like, I want you to go get that. Look, here's the job. Go get it. Go get it. And he pushes. He's motivated by her. He pushes through. He gets the job. And what does he do? He takes her in and he takes care of her. And he like, he, he like feeds her and they, they play in the roller skates. And then he puts her to bed and says, I'll wake you up before the store opens so you don't get in trouble. Right. That's love. That's affection, but it's not in the making out kind of way. It's like a really love you kind of way, you know. Well, and it is, it a hundred percent is, and it's also him not really caring that much about the rules. No, of course not. You know, it's like it's my Standard. first night on the job. Yeah, of course. And and so on the one hand, I want the job, and I am going to do the work. And on the right. other hand, I'm going to take advantage a little bit of the situation. <laughs> right. And you mentioned the roller skating scene. We have to oh, talk about the roller yeah, skating absolutely, scene. Absolutely, man. It's Charlie Chaplin on roller skates. He's done multiple movies where he roller skates mm-hmm. before. The guy can skate. Yeah. And he does this beautiful roller skating dance blindfolded with this huge open pit yeah. of like multiple stories where like I guess a railing has gone down. And it is really scary to watch. <laughs> it's scary to watch. How did he do that? Okay. You want to know how yes, they do it? Yes, please. Because I was the whole time watching it again. I was like, I, wait, what? Oh, man. Because it looks perfect, right? It does. It is fake. What? So it is a matte painting. And again, it's the same like the hanging miniatures. There's a miniature matte painting I hate of you. the... I hate you right now. You're killing everything for me. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's a well, miniature... Welcome to the cinema. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Miniature Where we wind. ruin all your, <laughs> your dreams and destroy your childhood memories. We'll spoil every movie for you. <laughs> Please subscribe and review us on iTunes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a matte painting. Wow. I took them... So, so first, so they paint a miniature yeah. on a piece of glass... Of this, you know, where the the balcony is and and the floor is below. Right. And they hang that in front of the lens of the camera, between the camera and Charlie Chaplin. Okay. And it took them, I think, about four days not to paint it, Mm -hmm. but just to hang it and get the lensing correctly so it became seamless. And it is... 100% 100% seamless. It really is. You cannot tell. Nope. There are photographs of what how they did it, and you can look it up if you want this further <laughs> spoiled for you. But yeah, it's remarkable. And mm-hmm. this is where this is Charlie Chaplin as a technical expert. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is a this is a master of the filmmaking technique of the time. Right. And it's very reminiscent of what happens with in It's a Wonderful Life when they're dancing, Charleston dancing oh, yeah. near the near the, the open air the pool. Uh, and also to me, it it, it for, something I didn't mention in, in when we talked about singing in the rain. There's a phenomenal dance sequence in a musical called It's Always Fair Weather with Gene Kelly where oh, he yeah. does it in roller skates to the oh, song yeah, I Like Myself yeah. and this is as re- this is as close to something else that I've ever seen on film like that just amazing and those are two incredible artists physical artists oh absolutely yeah. um, and uh, he puts uh, Paulette Goddard to bed yes uh, she looks beautiful she really is yeah in, in the leather just, in the oh, I'm sorry in, in the, the fur, fur yeah. yeah and uh, then he goes off to be a night watchman and of course runs into some criminals who both shoot at him and get him drunk. Right. And by the way, I think one of the great ripoffs in film yeah. is that he doesn't do much on that escalator. Yeah, right. Because he goes up, up the and they go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently they set up, they sh- they shot some stuff and he just was never happy with them and just didn't put really? it in the movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And one of the guys happens to be the guy we had met at the beginning of the film right. who the- was sitting next to him uh, doing the, the stuff on the factory line. Yeah, yeah, the larger guy. Which is why they end up not killing him. Right. And he says to him, we're not criminals. We're just hungry. Yeah. Ah, so powerful, man. Yeah. Even though they have guns, Good. they're just, you know... Well- they are criminals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we can't take him at his word here. They are criminals. Yeah. They might also be hungry. Yes, exactly. Um, maybe the big guy is Jean Valjean and the other two guys are not so noble. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, yeah. The others are the Thenardiers or something. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Les Mis references people. Boom. Um, so, uh, um, so uh, and he wakes up in a great drunken <sighs> moment in, in a bunch of clothing. Yeah. And where do they send him? 
back, back off to, to jail. Back to jail. <laughs> He's going to spend a lot of time in jail. He does. This movie. Apparently, it's a week every time he goes. In. Yeah. yeah and, and they don't seem to be worried about recidivism, and they're not increasing not at all. his sentences. Not at all. Which I guess was standard then. They probably had a lot of people in jail. I would imagine. That's a good question. Yeah. I have no idea. I'm sure. Um, back out of jail. Yeah. There, Paulette's waiting for him. Hey, guess what? I've got us a house. Yeah. Let's say a shack. <laughs> I would say a falling down shack. Sure. Is what they got. Once again, very reminiscent of It's a Wonderful Life. Yep. I've gotten this broken down house to welcome you back. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and again, another great set to yeah. have physical comedy. Things are constantly falling yes. down. Like the, there's a board that hits him in the head. He moves a broom and the roof starts to collapse. He puts a chair down and his chair sinks into the ground. <laughs> he gets out of it, which, by the way, apparently he sleeps like in the doghouse on the side. Yeah, and yeah. She sleeps inside, which again goes to this ambiguity of the nature of their relationship. Yeah. Part of which I think is just the age difference. Yeah, he's, that's a good point. He's 47 when he makes this movie. She's wow. like 19. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so that's, you know. That's a, that's a few number of years yeah, sure. different. Um, yeah. And I, it's one of my favorite sequences, the physical comedy in the sequence with the house. The beam hitting him in the head oh, yeah. makes me laugh every time. And then him falling out the door into the water just every time. Because yeah. he's so smooth and goes right out the door. Well, and I love when he gets up in the morning and he's going to go take a swim. Oh, yeah. And he does this dive into like six inches of water. Yeah. That looks really painful. It does, especially at 47 years old. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm 48 and um, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no shit. Um <laughs> And then he gets a job. Yes, he does. And we see, you know, the moment the factory opens that the workers crowd the outside. And again, we see the mischievousness or the self-interestedness of the tramp. Mm -hmm. He doesn't wait in line. Nope. He sneaks right up in front. Yes, he does. Sneaks his way in, gets a job with the mechanic. Mm -hmm. He's like the mechanic's assistant. The older mechanic is a guy who's been in silent movies a lot. He was actually a well-known silent film actor. Acted with Chaplin before. Done a lot of physical comedy. Okay. And they were... One year apart in age. Wow. Because he looks old. Yeah, he does. Um, with the big old bushy mustache, yeah. Uh, and they do. we're back with the big giant machines, mm-hmm. and we see this guy get caught inside of the machines, and Chaplin has to feed him and get him out, and his head pops out at one point and pops out another point. I say this is my least favorite sequence. Really? In the okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I like it. It know. seems like they're going back to territory yeah. they already went to at the beginning of the film, where, right? Because he's stuck better. in the machine. Right. And I think the only thing he's trying to, in that moment, I think the only thing you can take away from it is like when, they go, when the lunch hits and everything gets turned off, it doesn't matter what's going on. Like he's stuck in the machine until the, until the power gets turned back on after lunch. That poor mechanic. He's just stuck right. there. So he has to feed him and do whatever and all yeah. that jazz. Yeah. And then what happens? They go on strike. They go on strike. And he's... The, and this is a really interesting moment because the mechanic is like super depressed they're going on strike. His yeah. face is, he's crestfallen. Cause probably because he needs the job to feed himself or feed his family. And now he has to go on strike. And he just, they're both standing there doing that. like, oh man, we got to do this again. And they go out and they walk out, you know, and do the strike. Going on strike's not fun. Yeah. Nobody wants to go on strike. So I'm saying the film is funny, but the film has a lot of darkness right. through it, man. And there's no sense that... You know, we've seen uh, the tramp. People think that he's a, a communist leader. Yeah. But there's no sense that he has any particular political leaning at all. No, no, no. no. He's just trying to get by. Yeah. Charlie Chaplin might have a political leaning. Sure. But not this character. This character just wanted a job to make some money. Exactly. And now he goes out and what happens? The strike gets broken up. Back to jail. Yeah, because he steps on a board that launches a brick that hits a policeman in the back of the head. Yep. And starts this whole sequence where he gets arrested and back to jail for a week. Yep. He, and, and, and to be clear, he, well, I shouldn't say that. He did deserve to go to jail when he was stealing cafeteria food. Right, sure. But mostly he haplessly ends yeah. up in jail. It's all by accident, yeah. yeah. Gets out of jail, and guess what? Paulette's gotten a job at a cafe yeah. as a dancer. Because, you, you know, when you dance a little in the street, someone sees you and says, hey, let's have her as the star of our show in the cafe. Well, this is interesting, too, Steve, because you talk about the nature of their relationship, right? How is she not worried that she hadn't seen him in seven days? She's just this randomly dancing to music out in the middle of the street. Well, maybe she thinks his cell phone battery died. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's an interesting thing. Oh, well, maybe, that, maybe that's what the mentality was back then. Like, you never knew from one day to the next if a person was going to show back up or not. You never knew. You well, know? and I think we can say pretty when clearly pour. that we today are a bunch of wimps hey. compared to... Because well, back then, yeah. you know, people that grew up in the Depression didn't have shoes, didn't yep. know where the meals were coming from. They were complaining about a whole different set of stuff mm-hmm. than what we're complaining about. Absolutely. You know? And I'm not saying we don't have reasons to complain today. We right. do. Right. But the, and they had to fix the things in their house. They mm-hmm. had to wash their clothes by hand. They yeah. had to do all that stuff 
that most of us don't have to do yeah. anymore. I mean, yeah. there's some pretty tough people yeah. uh, back in that time. Sure. Um, so uh, he gets a job in a cafe, gets Charlie Chaplin a job in a cafe. Yeah. There's this wonderful moment where they're interviewing him. And we should say, by the way, the conventions of silent film are used, which means that we're going to have cards yep. that show the dialogue and it's always fascinating how they do it and charlie chaplin's really a master of it is that they're not saying everything that people are saying right is that you'll see people's lips moving and then at a certain point usually midline the line will start yeah. you'll cut to the dialogue and then you'll come back and the line will end mm-hmm. so you cut to the card and then you come back and the line will end right and we see this guy say can you sing and we have to be really clear that the little tramp has never spoken on film. Mm-hmm. So when he asks Charlie Chaplin or the little tramp, can you sing? The reaction is, you know, this really strong, like I can't, yeah. words don't come out. This doesn't work with words right. moment. And it's not just about in this movie, can this character sing? It's about, wait, are we going to hear the little tramp on film? Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of remarkable. Right. And, and she, of course, says, yes, tell him you can sing. Mm-hmm. Yes, he sings great. He gets the job. And then we get our next little bit of physical comedy, which yeah. is in the restaurant. Yeah, which is great. I mean, all the stuff that happens. The fact that he's all those plates on, on, his, uh, on his tray, falling down, keeping it afloat, and walking Oh, it's in. amazing. Also, yeah, just Even knowing that stuff. they're probably glued together and yeah. not that heavy, Still. the balance and control he has in that moment is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, it's such a sweet sequence, too, that she fights for him to have the job. And, oh, yeah. And they, they, once again, it's their relationship, for whatever reason, has this kind of affection between each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, uh, and then we have this guy that orders this duck. Yes. He's been waiting it for an hour for <laughs> yeah. the duck. And I often <laughs> sit down and eat a whole duck and a whole, drink a whole bottle of wine. Chaplin comes out with this huge, huge tray of yeah. food. Yeah. And immediately 900 people get on the dance floor. Yeah. And he gets whipped around and circled. And uh, again, it's a really funny and beautifully choreographed bit of physical comedy. And believable. Right, because the best physical comedy is believable physical comedy, and that was really believable that a lot of people would crowd in because he's a small guy, and that he's he doesn't want to lose the jobs. He's got the tray high in the air, and he's being pushed around, so he's just going with the flow of everything until he's finally able to get to the guy. But then, by the time he gets to the guy, well, and I want to I want to add something to what you said. It is it does come off totally believable. Mm And it is also completely ridiculous. Yes, of course. What's happening. That's what's so great yeah. is that is that it's all of the choreography and the time spent to make a thing look that is completely insane yeah. look completely believable. Absolutely. That's the beauty of his choreography, mm-hmm. even to the point of the duck ending up on a chandelier, yeah. you know, <laughs> which is just insane what happens, yeah. but, but made believable. Yeah, it could be. And now it's time for our song. Yes. And... Uh, Chaplin is worried. He can't remember the words. Mm-hmm. She writes down his words on his cuff of his sleeve. Yeah. Uh, he comes out and does the beginning of his dance. That's what we have to remember. He starts as a vaudeville guy. Yeah. As a song, you know, doing dances and things like this. It's really cute, the dancing. It is. It it's is. It's really funny. And he swings his arm and the cuff flies off and he doesn't have the words. What's he going to do? She says, make something up. Right. Just sing. And he does. Yeah. And we hear the tramp for the first time on film. And it's a gibberish song. Totally. It's combined of Italian and French words, and it means nothing. It is really funny. Yes. And it's one of those, because you keep trying to like understand, you never can quite understand. <laughs> like you hear a word and you go, oh, did he say we're in a taxi? His cuteness yeah. and his playfulness and his movement and the sound of it's great. He it's tells a, the story. Yeah. Yeah. Of whatever exactly yeah, whatever the, story is, yeah, the physical manifestations, the you know, the making the belly and the making the cute little faces and the cute little movements, all of that is telling a story and you go along with it because he's a master artist yeah. and he whatever he's creating gibberish, you get it. You know. Apparently he was coming up with it. Uh, constantly on the set with the composer, like, uh, well, the, the assistant to the composer, because apparently him and the composer, like, uh, 
broke up during this uh, filming several, of the movie. There's several. So uh, yeah. he had three different arrangers. Yes. One is Alfred Newman, right. who becomes a very famous composer. He stays with him. Right. And the other, whose name I don't remember, was also a famous composer. Yeah. He quit. He quits. And right. there is some... So Chaplin... Uh, could play piano and yep. violin and I think clarinet. Mm-hmm. He uh, was very musical, could not read or write music. Right. And then to what degree did he compose all of this? Right. He probably composed the themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he certainly was involved in all of it. Yeah. And a lot of it also was other musicians kind of filling in all the gaps. Yeah, well, the reason he was so obsessed about the score in this film is because he didn't like the score for City Lights. Oh, I didn't know and, that. Yeah, and so, so he, that's why he was even more in the studio, even more, which broke up their relationship with him and Paulette. And he was never home, which is, right. if you watch the Chaplin movie, there's a small sequence where Diane Lane comes in and he's been, Robert Downey Jr.'s Chaplin's been working on this score over and over and over for hours on end. And apparently that's how he lost that composer because it was a, it was a, a a session that went deep into the morning hours mm. and they ended up calling this composer lazy. And wow. the composer was like, screw this, I'm out of here. And never worked with him again. And his assistant took over and that assistant was the one who was transcribing this gibberish stuff that Chaplin would just come on, come up occasionally because they were working towards that singing moment right. yeah, throughout the production of the film. Um, and uh, getting called lazy when it's when you've been working all night, <laughs> not cool. Yeah, right. But, cool. you know, then again, he's been there working all night too. So like his phrase, his nerves are, I'm sure this was like the straw that broke the camel's of back. Course. I'm sure he wasn't the easiest person to work with. No, I'm sure. Perfectionists are tough. Yes. Um, they do sometimes produce amazing things, mm-hmm. um, but not always amazing. But at what cost? Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and then just as things seem like they're going to go great, yeah. in come the uh, officers of the court to take yeah. uh, Paulette off to... Uh, you know, the state home. Yeah, a juvenile. It yeah. says, you know, and it's because she had vagrancy and uh, escaping officers or whatever. So, yeah. And we managed to escape. Yep. And we walk off in the middle of the road, off into the sunset. Uh, which Chaplin did this a lot by himself. And yeah. now he's doing it with this other person. Yeah. And she, he says to her, like, they have that really powerful moment where she's like, what's the use in trying? And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way sometimes. What's the use of trying? And he says... You have to keep trying. You have to keep fighting because it can be better. It can be better. And this is probably him speaking to people in the country during the Depression. Absolutely. Just coming out of the Depression, you know. All that is just about to happen with Roosevelt. Everything's supposed to happen. The war, EPA, the works, all that's supposed to, is just about to happen around no, the corner. We're in the middle of it. Yeah, we're in yeah, the middle of it. Yeah, and so I think it's his way of saying it to, to people like, hey, you got to keep trying. And even when they get stand up and are about to walk down the road, he stops and says to her, smile. You got to smile. And she smiles, and then they walk off. And I think it's one of the most iconic shots ever in film. In the tramp film. with her walking just... And they walk for a long distance before the, f- the film goes black. And I love it. Uh, and we should say, by the way, the, the love theme, as we're talking about the music, yeah. the love theme from this is just a beautiful love theme. Yeah. And it later becomes the song Smile. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we think, oh, things are going to be easy nope, for them. not at all. No, we think this is there's going to be more of this. This is life, man. Yeah. yeah. And that's a lot of what this movie is, is it's sort of, this is the struggle of life. Yeah. And, and with a lot of silliness thrown in, none of us are going to go through things like the tramp, mm-hmm. but we're all going to have those reversals. Yeah. And, and you know what I, I find about it is it's the chaos of the way life happens. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing is ever expected. Okay, you have a plan. I'm going to do this job. I'm going to get to this place. And then the weirdest shit in the world comes along. Yeah. Nope. That's yeah. not what's going to happen. <laughs> and you're reeling again, you know, yeah. and you're falling again. And now you got to get up and you got to get up and you got to get up. Yeah. Yeah. This, I think this movie still has a lot to say. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that's what's the message of the film. At the end, the message of the film is no matter what, keep going. No matter what, keep trying, keep fighting. Because, yes, there were a lot of bad stuff that happened, but there was all this amazing good as well, all this amazing beauty as well. And look what happened. They ended up together. Whatever their yeah. relationship, they ended up together. They found each other. Yeah, they found each other. And that, there's a positive in that. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's no question that from the beginning, they care about each other in a way they haven't been able to care about anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a deep connection mm-hmm. right at the beginning. Absolutely. Okay, John, so final thoughts on Modern Times. Well, after talking about it on this episode, it's even more poignant for me and and more powerful for me than ever before. Um, There's so much here and what's happening now in in our country. now. There's just so much to connect to and still get moved by and still, unfortunately, feel despondent about because not a lot has changed. You know, generation to generation, the same issues come up, the same problems come up. But 
what this movie does is find the likeness, find the humor, find the joy, find the possibilities of joy that are that are possible in life, you know, and I think that's what this film does. It shows you that through all this madness and craziness and unexpected stuff that can happen to you, there's also this beautiful joy that can occur in the quiet moments or in the moments of discovery with someone and that you have uh, you have stuff that will keep you going. And I think that's what the, what's so powerful about this movie. It's always like, keep trying, keep trying. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And, and two things occur to me. The, fir- the first one is comedy can be light and fun mm. and silly and playful and goofy and yeah. ridiculous and be about something at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And not all comedy has to be. Some comedy can just be all that first stuff. Right. And that's great. If you laugh, that was great. And you can watch this movie and not think about any of the, the deeper stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because yeah. watching Charlie Chaplin. It's just great. Yeah. And watching his artistry and the way he moves and uh, his sense of timing and all those things are great. Yeah. And then if you go into this deeper level, you know, the word modern times, that applies right now. Exactly. You know, and in different ways, you know, some mm-hmm. of the stuff has changed. But I was, I was thinking about before the modern era, people were pretty independent. You know, we, yeah. back in the uh, before the turn of the 20th century, we had 80% of people lived on farms. Yeah. You know, and then everyone's flooding to the city. And um, when you lived on the farm, that was your place. Yeah. Even if you didn't own the farm, you were still pretty independent. If something broke, you fixed it. Mm-hmm. You know, the food came from the ground where you planted it. You know, it was the animals that you raised. Right. You were independent. And you move to the city, you become dependent. Yeah. You become part of a bigger structure. You become part of the factory. Yeah. You become part of the machine. And there's this thing that is lost. And what you see in this movie is these people desperately trying to hold on to their individuality mm-hmm. which they find in the end as singers and artists yeah. but for the most part it's society trying to keep them in a box whether it's in the jail yeah. in the factory in the, and and that and who are you supposed to be when you are just a accessory to a machine mm-hmm. and this is something that is this is modern times yeah you know because the box that we're in today is way bigger and way more complicated with a lot more cogs mm-hmm. than the box back then and we're in a lot of ways more disconnected from mm-hmm. each other and from humanity than we've ever been before. Yeah. Even with all our communication devices and all that stuff, it's tending to separate us. Mm-hmm. And the question kind of remains, who, who, who can I be? Yeah. And how am I supposed to exist as an individual within this world? Right. Although the way Charlie Chaplin does it is pretty funny. Yeah. The way a lot of us are doing it. Maybe not so funny. <laughs> not so much. Yeah. yeah. I do want to say one last thing, Steve, because we haven't mentioned, like, there's so many things that are influenced. So many, we mentioned Lucio Ball. I want to say as Latino, he influenced Cantinflas, which a lot mm. of people may not know is a Mexican uh, comic uh, who made a number of films. Very yeah. beloved. V- very similar to The Tramp. Wore loose pants. Had the mustache. Right. Always yeah. was uh, Always was poor and got into these situations. And if you ever want to see a Spanish version of Chaplin that is extraordinary. And he is so beloved. Cantinflas, my parents used to take me when I was a kid into D.C., deep into D.C., to watch his films that would show only on a couple theaters back then when you didn't have a lot of Spanish films that showed. And I got to watch him. And he's a Mexican. He's a fantastic uh, 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 artist. And I would put him definitely as in that that, that category with Chaplin and and Buster Keaton and what have you. Is is, is he on YouTube? He must be. Yeah, he's all. Yeah. And and you can watch all. They show his stuff on marathons all the time on Telemundo and on Galavision and on Univision. If you have those channels. And you can't get because he he's even did a Romeo and Juliet that was just oh. brilliant as as uh, as this Cantinflas character, which is a tramp kind of character, the Spanish version. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, and still, of course, having influence on people today. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they might not know that they're being influenced <laughs> yeah, by John right, Chaplin, right. But they're being influenced by the people that. That's always the interesting thing when you 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 find someone you like and then you hear the, who they like. Yeah, and you can go back to the master or the master of the master and go, oh, this is where it all comes from. Right. And Charlie Chaplin's where a lot of things come from. Absolutely. Okay, so that's what we think about modern times. We would love to hear what you think about modern times, particularly if you haven't gotten into the silent era yet. Mm. You know, if this is the beginning of sort of going into the world of seeing dialogue on cards and not seeing people speak, I'd love to hear how you respond to it. You can always reach us on Facebook at the Cinephiles. That's C-I-N-E dash F-I-L-E-S. You can mm-hmm. leave your comments there. If you want to find us on Stitcher, however, don't use the dash. <laughs> so you have to do C-I-N-E no dash F-I-L-E-S because Stitcher doesn't like dash. Right. Um, you could always reach me at SR Morris. Where can they reach you? Oh, you guys, you can always reach me at the Roca says R O C H A uh, on Twitter and on Instagram. Yeah, follow me. I love interacting with you.
you guys. And thanks, everybody, for the amazing tweets and compliments and all the stuff you guys have been sending us since we started the podcast. It keeps us going. It makes us, like, know that we have an audience out there, which is so fantastic. And, of course, like Steve has said on numerous uh, times, uh, please leave comments on iTunes. Please leave ratings on iTunes. Please do that. Um, And uh, that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Cinephiles.